0: Well, all right, Mercy Road, how we feeling today? Everybody good? Yeah? Awesome, awesome. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Davey, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you. And I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, how about, how many of you guys were here last week as we started the series, Wind Pigs Fly? Come on, raise your hand. How amazing was Rashad's message, right? So great to have Pastor Rashad here uh i don't think i can hold a candle to to that we're going to try to continue some of that momentum and pick up uh on where he left off throughout the series i'm excited about this series because uh one one of the things you need to know about the series is that as all of the locations of mercy road we kind of came together and collaborated to write this series so we're really we put a lot into this and we're really excited about it we believe god's going to do some very transformational things in us and through us all as a Mercy Road family of churches uh, with this series. And so last week, Rashad kicked things off, and he talked about this one idea of we'll go, right? We'll go across the lake. We'll go and invite friends. We'll go and have conversations of the spiritual nature with people who are far from God. We'll go and be evangelistic. We'll go when pigs fly, Right? Like thinking that, okay, that's impossible. There's no way. that I can't do that. I'm not qualified. And he talked about how the disciples were called to go across the lake in Mark chapter 4, and they ran into a storm. And that sometimes when we're called on mission, there's obstacles that we need to look at as opportunities. Incredible message. You got to go back and listen to it. And it kind of lays some groundwork for where we're going to go today. Because today, we're going to talk about this idea of they'll change. They'll change when pigs fly. I think one of the inhibitors to us stepping out of discomfort and stepping over our, as Rashad talked about last week, our disgust, our doubt, our discrimination, all the things that kind of inhibit us from going and doing like being on mission on behalf of other people for on behalf of the gospel, is 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 that we have an inhibition to see change happen because we don't believe the change can happen. Right? Like There are people in our lives that we're like, okay, there's no way that that person would be able to be changed. My coworker, my, my, uh, my family member, my husband, my wife. Like There are people in our lives like, okay, yeah, they'll change when pigs fly. Or maybe it's not they'll change. Maybe there's something else in your life that's a situation or a circumstance that seems impossible and you're like, yeah, it'll change when pigs fly. There's no way that this my marriage can change. There's no way that my kids will change. There's no way that my job situation will change. This seems like an impossible situation. I don't know how this could change. And that's what I want to talk about today is whatever that impossible situation or circumstance or person or whatever it is in your life, I want to start to see things a little bit differently. I've been learning a lot about this idea of feeling like something couldn't change uh, through my kids, because we're in a season right now, we have a 16-month-old, where it feels like we're in a season where it's like, we're going, is this ever going to change? We had gotten out of the diaper stage, we're back in it, right? I have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old, so we were gone, we were good, potty trained, everything. Then we decided to have another kid, and, and we're back full-fledged diaper season. And so that means there's a lot of bowel movements happening in our house, Okay. A lot of it. 16 months. I mean, it's just insane. And at first we were encouraged by it, right? We go to the hospital. They're like, Hey, you're going to see, it's always a good thing. It's healthy sign. If they start to have their first bowel movements, so you're looking for it. You're waiting for it. Right. And it happens and you're cheering. You're like, yes, they had the first bowel movement, but then it's, then it's like shocking because I don't, they don't warn you that it comes out black. Hello. You're like, what'd you do? Swallow a parking lot kid. Like what happened? You know? And so then you're like, you know, but once it, once it comes out, it continues to come out. You know what I mean? And then you go through these weird seasons where it gets clogged up, and you're going, oh, no, what's going on? And then when it finally does come out, it's like, okay, all mayhem just broke loose. You know what I mean? He, we had this favorite onesie for Cohen, our 16-month-old, that was cream-colored. You know where I'm going with this? <laughs> and inevitably, no matter what, whenever we put him in this cream-colored one, he would blow it out, right? So finally, we deemed that the constipation onesie. We're like, okay, if he's constipated, just put him in the cream onesie. It'll happen, okay? You know what I mean? Come on, don't judge me, moms. You are right there with me. You know exactly what this feels like. And so we're still in this because just the other day, I'm taking the kids to school. And I, you know, I'm lo- trying to load our oldest two up to school. And I, I actually put Cohen in an outfit. Normally, I just take him in a onesie and he just rides around with me as I take the kids to school. I actually put him in an outfit. I took the time to put some jeans on him, make him look really cute, give him a little swag. you know. And, and, and I sit him down and I go get the other kids ready. And wouldn't you know it that five minutes before we have to leave, he poops. And he doesn't just poop. He blows it all out. Right now, he is teething. And huggies is false advertisement for teething babies. Because when babies start teething, they say that they hug that little bottom. No, they're like, whoa, okay, I'm not even doing anything. Like that. And it's just everything, right? So I'm grabbing. I'm pulling him out there. And I'm like, okay, I got to change him. We got to grab it." I'm like, kids, come and help me with this because it's all over his legs and it's all over. And as soon as I get the diaper back, Cohen inevitably grabs back there, <laughs> picks up a handful, starts wiping it all over his face. I'm like bro so i'm now got to go to the bathtub and now it's all weird because you run in water i don't know if i should just put him under the running water or put him in the water now there's stuff floating all over and i'm bathing him and the stuff floating i'm like this is awful and we go back down the stairs i see clumps of poop all the way down the stairs that he you know i'm like oh and i'm literally going is this ever going to change is it ever going to change now if we were to sit down and have a conversation and you're a parent you have older kids you would probably look at me and go davy this is funny be encouraged be encouraged it changes You'll you'll get out of this. This is what you'd say. You'd probably say, you just need to get to the other side of this season. Come on, here's here's my encouragement to you today. Change is possible, but we're going to have to get to the other side in order to see change happen. And that's what happens here in Mark chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 5, where we're going to go, is Jesus hears this man, this demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, not just Jesus, everybody in Tiberius and Capernaum, they all would have heard this demon-possessed man. They would have, they would have heard the cries that he had from the, from the tombs. And they, they would have said, oh my gosh, there needs to be some change that takes place. But that's an impossible situation. I'm not sure that could change. And in Mark chapter 5, it says this. It says, they went across the lake... To the region of the garrisons if you were here last week you'll remember we talked about this was impossibility in and of itself because jews the disciples in jesus they were jewish they didn't go across the lake for multiple reasons one was because across the lake the garrisons was a gentile region the gentiles were considered defiled they were unclean jews did not associate with gentiles they believed that if they went over there and associated in their region were around them touched them interacted with them whatsoever it would make them who were clean, it would make them unclean. And Jesus comes on the scene and goes, hey, listen, I got a new way of life. I got a new ideology. I got a new belief system. Because what you believe is that you're clean, and when you interact with unclean, what's unclean makes what's clean unclean. That's what the disciples believed. Jesus says, let me tell you a different way because I operate in a different power. I operate in a different authority. When I walk around and I touch things, they become clean. So when you walk with me and when you follow me and you go to the other side with me, what is clean makes what's unclean clean. Come on, that's somebody's testimony in here. The power of Jesus has changed you because someone went over to the other side. Someone left their discomfort. Someone stepped across their disgust with your mess and they shared the gospel with you and your life has changed and this is what Jesus says right he said we're going to the other side and we're going to see transformation happen and they get to the other side and the situation seems worse than what it is look at this in in verse two it says when Jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself himself with stones. Here's this man who's demon-possessed, an impossible situation. If there's anybody that can't change, it's going to be this man. There's no way he can change. So yeah, Jesus, we'll go over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They'll change when pigs fly. Yeah, 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 Jesus. Yeah, he'll change. Her, she'll change. This, search, this circumstance, this situation, it'll change when pigs fly. This is impossible, Jesus. There's no way this can be different. You know, often we look at the activity, the outward appearance, the circumstances surrounding things. We see things on an activity level, which, by the way, if you're taking notes, that's the first level I need you to look at in your own life is activity. We see the activity around us, and we begin to allow that activity to formulate some beliefs inside of us. Because on the outside, things look impossible to change. The addiction that you're dealing with seems impossible. Because, man, well, I've been dealing with this for years and years and years. And I've tried. And I've, I've tried to, like, set up the blockers. And I've tried to change my behavior. And we deal with the thing that needs to be changed on a surface level, behavior level, activity level. And we don't get to see Change. Well, man, this neighbor, my coworker, I mean, I've, I've been praying for them and it doesn't seem like they're changing because all I can see is their outward behavior and the activity level. It seems impossible. And this man, it seemed absolutely impossible that he would change. I wanna note a couple things right here. That the enemy, we have a very real enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10 says. The enemy had taken this man, not just, not just oppressed this man, but possessed this man. This man had swapped the truth for a lie and allowed the enemy to influence him in such a way that now he was completely overtaken and controlled by the enemy. And this has always been the enemy's M.O., He's always going to try to get a foothold so that he can gain a stronghold in our life. So then that stronghold, come on, will bind us in chains. Now this man, because of the power of the enemy, could not be bound with chains. But inside, he was so bound. And I just wonder, I wonder if you're feeling the same thing. Bound with chains. And the presence of your chains make you doubt that you could ever experience change. Come on. What situation are you looking at right now that seems absolutely impossible? Well, I wanna issue to you that perhaps you might be looking at it at an activity level. And maybe we need to dive a little bit deeper and we need to go to an ideology level. Maybe we need to look at some beliefs that are are strongly planted inside of you. Because listen friends, our beliefs influence and determine our behavior. What we believe, our ideologies will inform our activity. And many times I believe our greatest inhibition to change is our own inhibition to change. We don't believe something can change, and it's, we've created what's called a limiting belief in our lives. And a limiting belief, you can tell from people's language. As I interview people for our podcast, as, as, as we uh, talk to people, as we're, you know, doing counseling with people, I hear limiting beliefs. And I can tell you whether or not someone's going to experience transformation in their life simply by their language, because it comes out of them, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And they'll say things like, well, I can't, or I shouldn't, or i 'll never or i won 't or and then or they 'll insert any pronoun that you want to he 'll never she won 't she shouldn 't and I, and I stop him I go, hold hold on, hold on a second who said who said because whether you recognize it or not, we have language that reflects some limiting beliefs inside of us and if you pull the thread of those limiting beliefs typically it's because someone else in your life at some point in your past or that's presently around you has spoken that into your life they've said that thing over you oh you'll never or I can't believe you or you won't and I have to ask you who said who said come on, who said? Because right here in this passage, the disciples get out of the boat, this man comes, they go, wow, this situation is really grave. But in chapter six, it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want from me, Jesus? Son of the most high God, note that, we'll come back to it in a second. In God's name, don't torture me. Look at verse eight. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. See, what had happened is Jesus had said something to him. Come on. And when Jesus had said something to him, it changed something. It shifted something. Because what Rashad talked about last week is this is the Jesus who is the Word, right? And in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. It's Jesus. And he's walking around. And when the Word comes out of Jesus's mouth, when the Word comes out of God's mouth, it does some powerful things. It creates. It sustains. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 47, it's God's Word that takes this valley of dry bones and assembles them into these skeletons that look like an army. And then, It's God's word that breathes life back into these dry bones so they can have life. Come on, in John chapter 11, Jesus comes on the scene with Lazarus, who's dead, four days dead, disintegrating in the grave, beyond hope, beyond repair, and he goes, Lazarus, come forth with a powerful word, and Lazarus steps out. When Jesus, as he's being arrested, says, I am, he tells the the, the soldiers who he is. They all fall to the ground because his word is powerful. Who said? Who said you can't? Because Jesus says something different. He speaks a better word over your life. His word is more powerful than any other word that is defining you right now. The problem is, the problem is, is that we believe this, right? And yet we still don't see change it's really easy for me to fire you up and speak this word over you. But what makes the word move down from here to here so you can begin to experience the work of the Lord? Come on. Because many of us go, well, yeah, I believe the word, (laughs) but I'm not experiencing the work. Why? I mean, even James, Jesus' brother, he wrote about this in James. He said, He said, even the demons believe. Don't we see it right here in this passage? This man, demon possessed, comes up and goes, son of the most high God, son of the most high God. Even they believe, but they tremble and they shudder. So what is the gap between believing the word and experiencing his works? Can I tell you something? It's not more belief. That doesn't fill the gap. Because faith without works is dead. But it also is not works, because the two go hand in hand. If you lean toward works, you're going to become legalistic. If you lean toward just faith, you're going to be inactive. There is something right here in between God's word and God's works in our life. Can I tell you what it is? Obedience. Surrender. Because something crazy happens here. If we look at six through eight again, it says Jesus had said, this is a past perfect tense of the verb, had said, which means it's referring to whatever took place before it, that this happened before whatever took place before it, and before whatever took place before it. So Jesus said come out of him, and yet the demons hadn't come out of him. What happened? Was Jesus not powerful enough to exercise these demons? No. You see, what we want oftentimes is we want Jesus to do something in our lives to change the situation and heal in poof, don't we? Wouldn't that be awesome? You're changed, poof. You're healed, poof. We just want his word to come out and all of a sudden, boom, that changes everything about our situation. Sometimes Jesus does heal in poof. I've heard powerful stories about healing in poof and unlocking strongholds in your, I absolutely believe, but most of the time, the way Jesus works is he doesn't heal in poof, he heals in process, and that process is a system, systematic process of daily surrender and obedience to his word, so the gap between his word and the work is me believing his word enough that I'll actually step in obedience every single day and then trust that he's going to do the work, come on, so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm feeling a gap between the word and his work in my finances, well, what does his word say about my finances? What's the first step of trusting him in my finances? I need to bring back the first tithe of my revenue, of my income to the church. That's, that's the tithe, right? So I'm going to trust him, take that step, and then watch him work in my life. Come on. Well, what does he say about my relationships, my marriage? Okay, well, if I, if I love my wife the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her, if I give myself up, my own agenda, my own, if I leave those and I don't bring those to the table, but I look after her interests more than my own, come on, then God can do his work in our marriage. But it's trusting the word and doing it that leads to the work of God in your life. Your natural gets paired with his super and supernatural things happen. This is a daily surrender that happens. But we can't just look at it from an ideology level. Because ideology limits us. In fact, when life begins to press in around us, what we realize in ideology is that it ultimately reveals to us our idolatry. Because look at the demons. They came to him and said, son of the most high God, son of the most high God. Son of the most high God. This looks good, doesn't it? It looks like they're trusting him and surrendering to him as the Lord, right? But if you take a look at it a little bit deeper, they said son of the most high God, which implies that in their ideology, in their belief system, there's other gods. He just happens to be the most high one. Come on. I believe the enemy is completely content with us Coming to church, reading our Bible, worshiping, trusting Jesus as the most high God as long as we keep the other gods around. Come on. David, what are you talking about other gods? I, mean, I don't have any statues in my house. I'm don't have i like, not like worshiping this thing. Oh, but we are way more polytheistic than what we like to admit. Come on. Do you know what an idol is? Bare bones. An idol is when life presses in around us, what is the thing that you turn to, that you resort to, that you rely on to get some kind of management for your emotions, to cope, to, 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 to feel better? What is it? Think about it. We've all been under pressure, so what is the thing over the past year and a half that you've kind of, you've found yourself resort to? You're not a bad person if you have idols. Come on, I found a lot of idols over this past year and a half in my own heart. The question is, what are you going to do with those idols? Because Jesus tells the man, hey, uh, demons, leave. But, but even though this man may have started to surrender to Jesus once, right, the problem was still, was still there with what do you do with the demons? And every single day, we've got to step into daily surrender, answering the question, what am I going to do with my demons? Because we all got them past trauma, woundings, belief systems. We all have things that we've got to parse out and pick out and go, okay, what, how do I, okay, I gotta surrender this one now too. Oh wait, I gotta surrender this one now too. And I love the fact that Jesus is so gracious to us, he's not gonna call us out and try to get us to surrender everything at once. He literally goes one at a time. He's like, okay, this one, let's, let's talk about this one. Let's lean in on this one now. Okay, you got that one, let's lean in on this one. And listen to me, friends. Every single act of obedience leads us closer to not just becoming more like Christ, but living a life of fulfillment. That's why Jesus said, I came to give you life. Give it to the full. So we can't just look at the ideology level. We've got to go to an, e- an even deeper level, and that's the identity level identity level if you want to see change happen in your own life you're gonna to have to peel back the layers of just the activity and peel back the layers of kind of your ideologies and belief systems because all of those things are informed at an identity level who you are but not just who you are no 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 I think we focus too many times on who we are and we fail to focus on whose we are look at what Jesus asked this man The very next question that he asked this man in in verse 9, it says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? You think it's a coincidence that if he's going to get underneath this whole thing, he's got to go to the identity level? He's like, what's your name? And this man goes, my name's Legion, for we are many. Many. Uh, a Roman legion was um, a group of soldiers of about four to six thousand soldiers. So many scholars believe that this man was possessed by a few thousand demons. Were many, and Jesus goes, "Okay, it's impossible to just go, go, right? We got to get down to identity level, because you, as you begin to get down to the identity level, then something begins to change, because those demons start getting expelled." transformation begins to happen. Jesus said, hey, listen, (laughs) I don't know who told you this and that. I don't know what your ex-spouse said to you or did to you. I don't know what your father said to you or did to you, but you don't have to be defined by your demons. Come on. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth and he hung on a cross and he purchased you, friend, with the ultimate price. And you are not who other people say you are. You are not who you might think you are. You are not who you've begun to construct your life to be around, you are different because you are not your own anymore. You were bought with the price and now you belong to him. You are a child of God. You are chosen. You are loved. You are handpicked. Come on, you are custom designed. Come on, you are healed. Come on, you are declared righteous. You, you are no longer defined by that thing that happened to you. what you did, or what somebody said about you. And when you get up underneath that, the identity level, it changes everything. Because as soon as he asked this man his name, something, something broke free. It says he he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of this area. Isn't it crazy how our demons will negotiate? Oh, come on. Just kind of keep me around a little bit. Isn't it crazy how our idols will negotiate? Oh, come on. You don't want to get rid of this fully. Keep this in your back pocket just in case. It's scary to go over to the other side. You don't know what's on the other side. You're comfortable here. You know what life's like here. You know what it's like to do this. Don't step out. Don't don't follow this Jesus guy. Not fully. They start negotiating. It's so great. I love this. It says in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And this one blows my mind. Verse 13, he gave them permission as powerful as this man was because of the demons inside of him you're breaking chains and stuff come on jesus jesus was still more powerful and in more authority Come on, no matter what power is coming against you, Jesus still is the one that has that power on a leash and has to give it permission. Everything that happens to you, friends, goes through the hands of a holy, sovereign God. And when he says, nope, back, I don't want you touching a child of mine, then guess what? The demons, the opposition has to listen. But then he gave them permission? What kind of a God is this? That even shows compassion and mercy on his enemies. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll grant your request. The reason it's so imperative that we dig into this like daily surrender process, this discipleship process, is because very easily. We can begin to kind of believe what we want to believe, and we can get God's word to kind of bend around our lives. We can we can do that. It, it can be very easy, but but it leads us down a road of destruction. And God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you, friends. He loves you. He will woo you. He will call you. He will beckon you. But it's a still small voice. And he will allow you to go down your road. He will give you permission to go down your road, even if it means getting to the rock bottom so that you can realize the true rock at your bottom and come running back to his open arms. And friends, this is why this, is why this thing, this is not just this huddle thing. This is not just something we do. This is why it's so imperative that you are a part of a huddle, that you are doing life with other people that every single day you are renewing your mind systematically, that you are not buying into, you are, you, are, you are not conforming to the pattern of this world, but you're renewing your mind so that you can become more like Jesus. If you're not part of a huddle, man, be, be part of a huddle because this is huge, this daily decision. And when we begin to step into obedience every single day, something powerful happens. It says the demons begged Jesus. He gave them permission in verse 13, and the impure spirits came out And went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Come on. This is the day that pigs flew. They're like, there's no way that that person can change. When pigs fly, she's like, all right, let's see what we can do about that. And pigs fly off a cliff, down into the ocean. He goes, you want to tell me the impossible can't happen? I'm the God of the impossible. Come on. I can change you. I can transform you, but you got to let me in. The word of God, the works of God transforms those who who welcome him into their lives. Say, God, have your way. I don't want to do my thing anymore. I don't want my agenda. I don't want my will. I am conforming everything to your will. And when that happens, oh my gosh. Okay, I know I got to close right here. Look at this. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. Look at this. Dressed in his own, in his right mind. And they were afraid. Dressed in his right mind. So from the time, okay, I... I don't know, but most people believe that this man at best had these tattered clothes and that because he's harming himself, he's cutting himself, he's ripping his clothes, he's just, he's possessed, right? And from the time that, that the, the men go off and they report what happened to the time they come back, he is now dressed. Where did he get the clothes? Like he didn't, it's not like he was like, all of a sudden becomes demon possessed, he packs his suitcase up and goes out to the grave, he's like just in case I need this, you know? No. Oh. He is now dressed and in his right mind. Where did he get the clothes? Well, do you guys remember last week when Jesus was on a boat and he fell asleep? What did he fall asleep on? A cushion. So weird that Mark said he fell asleep at the stern of the boat on a cushion. Because I've been to Israel and I've been on a fisherman boat and it ain't no yacht, there are not cushions. This was not a luxury liner, okay? What was the cushion? Well, our guide told us that most Messianic Jews believe, and they teach, that the cushion wasn't a cushion. It was clothes that Jesus brought over for this man. Because while the disciples thought it was impossible for this man to be changed... Jesus said, nope, (laughs) nothing's impossible. Not only am I going to heal him, not only am I going to exercise the demons, I'm also going to clothe him in righteousness. I'm going to make him a new creation. I'm going to give him a new identity. And that's what he can do for me and you too. Can we do this? Can we just bow our heads, close our eyes? And we're going to respond right here in this moment, and I just, I just again want to ask you, what's the impossible situation that you're having trouble believing God for? Is it for someone else? Is it for yourself? Because, man, under the sound of my voice, I need you to hear me say that Jesus has already predetermined the transformational clothes that he's going to clothe you with, that he's got for your friend. But what he's asking of us today is to just step into obedience and then watch him work. To be willing to go to the other side. And so Jesus, we ask right now that you would do a powerful work in us. That the word of this would would sink down and it wouldn't just become something we believe, but it'd be something that we live. That it consumes us. And we get it to such a deep level that everything about our life changes. That we bend our life around your word. We bend our life around you, Jesus. That we believe that you can do the impossible. Because Jesus, you got up from the grave. And you've put the same spirit that raised you from the grave, you put it inside of us, Jesus. And you've called us your ambassadors. You've called us the light in the darkness. A city on a hill to represent you. So I pray that our belief, our unbelief, our disbelief would not inhibit the work you want to do. Make this time that we respond right now, make it just sink in, Jesus. Fire us up for you. In your name we pray. Amen.